welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Dr Fiona Kennedy, a senior lecturer in the Department of Academic Development and Student Learning, to talk about how she and her team are training the next generation of academics at GCU. Fiona, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, thanks for having me, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. I've noticed that we're almost nine months into lockdown. We've been working from home for the past nine months. How have you been finding the new normal? Gosh, the new normal. Can we really actually <laughs> call it that? Um, I think, do you know what, Craig? I think it's been it's been a real roller coaster in terms of learning new things and getting, getting used to a new way of working. I think um, for me, I found it, potentially quite difficult in the first instance because I floundered a little bit, wasn't mm -hmm. really that sure of my identity. Um, but that was quickly overcome by being part of a team that, that pulled together and having colleagues round about me that, you know, kept talking. And, and so very quickly after that initial period, I think we got completely into the work and really haven't looked back since. <laughs> That's almost, you've actually described my own experience there, working from difficult to begin with for the first couple of weeks, but then you get into it and you're into your routine and you're able to work almost as, as normal from home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's things that are, are different, aren't there? You, you don't have that daily commute every day. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about how you're going to manage that. And there's lots of little strategies. I think that, I think we've all come up with, you know, I've got my own little idiosyncrasies of, of things that I do. I've got my shoes that I wear. I wear my Converse every single day, <laughs> um, you know, and that and the, the minute those Converse come off at the end of the working day, I know it's time to put my slippers on. And that for me, that like signals, you know, it's the difference between mm -hmm. having a uniform, if you like, on and taking your work uniform off. Um, <laughs> so just little things like that makes such a difference, don't they? Hey, listen, it's good to look stylish at the workplace with your red converse, Fiona. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to start by asking a fairly straightforward question. Tell me about your role at the university. What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I have, a, I have to say, I have a great role within the university. I feel dead lucky because I work with staff from across the university. And I, I work with a lot of staff who are new to um, learning and teaching particularly. So a lot of the work that I do is about supporting them to engage with learning, teaching, to learn about it. I guess in essence, really teaching people about supporting students and about what teaching means and what learning means and you know I'm, I'm in a fortunate position where every time I'm in the classroom myself I'm surrounded by teachers so therefore you know I have a great audience to work with we can have some great conversations I also work with um, PhD students who are then involved in student learning as well so get the, the opportunity to work with them and talk about learning teaching and go through some of the skills development that will help them when they're engaging students in the class. So, you know, I mean, that, that's not all of my role, but that's mm -hmm. a good substantial part of what I do. And so it's a, it's a really, really rewarding thing to do because you're involved in creative discussions, I would probably say, mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So tell me, what are the, the key tenets about how to teach teachers? What's the, the philosophy behind that, if you will? So I think one of the first things is, is recognising that there's such a rich and robust evidence base for it. Teaching isn't something that just happens. Teaching 
has a science behind it. It has artistry involved in it. So there's skills, but there's also a real evidence behind it. So in terms of helping people to develop their style of teaching, we have to first look to literature and resources and look to some of the, the big authors and the greats within the learning and teaching world. Some of whom are, of course, in our own university, you know, but just to be able to think, right, well, what's the theory behind what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Because teaching's different from presenting. So teaching isn't a case of standing up in front of a class and, and just giving people some information off of a PowerPoint. That's not teaching. That's yeah. giving a presentation. And arguably, it's perhaps not giving a good presentation. So teaching is thinking about the students and how they learn and why they learn in certain ways and crafting and designing opportunities to help them to learn and to, to be motivated to learn as much as they possibly can. So it, there's a lot of richness involved in learning and teaching. But I know certainly from, from my perspective, when I first joined the university, I don't think I had as good a grasp of what teaching actually was mm -hmm. my experience of teaching had been working on a one-to-one -one basis with with students within a clinical environment so mm -hmm. coming to be on placement with me and I would be teaching them and supervising them but I think I had a different perception of what it was like to be in university and teach and it's exceeded the expectations I ever had for it but there's also a lot more to it which mm -hmm. is great yeah, talk, talk a wee bit more about that, Fiona, then. Is there a, is there a one-size-fits-all approach to teaching? Does it vary on the, the subjects? Does it vary on the type of person who's in the classroom? How does it work? Yeah, that's a great um, question, actually, because there isn't a one-size-fits-all for teaching. Um, every subject and every um, discipline area has different requirements. And so you have to think about what you're aiming to get out of the learning opportunities and then think about how you craft them. So for instance, when I work on the in academic development and I'm supporting teachers from across the university, I'm working with people who come from all of the different schools and all of the different departments, and they're all within the one class. And they have to think about perhaps a theory of education, but they have to think, how does that fit for me? How yeah. does that fit for my students? And there are some things that just work really, really well with some subject areas, and some things that just frankly don't work because of tradition, because of history, or just because of the requirements of that particular professional group. So, that's the challenging thing is that it's not a one-size-fits-all, but it also makes it really, really interesting. You asked then if um, different people have different yeah, yeah. ways of teaching as well. And that's another interesting thing because everyone has their own style. You can be teaching the same, using the same learning teaching strategy. So I could be using small groups and you could be using small groups with, um, with students. But I might be looking to get something different out of that small group from you. And also the way I would interact with that small group might be very different from the way you do it. And it isn't, doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. Yeah. It's just about thinking specifically about the learners you're working with and specifically about what you're hoping that they are going to achieve from that particular learning situation. And it's actually really good for, for our students and learners to have a variety of those styles. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, like, like everyone learns in different ways and some people like really visual things and some people like to learn through um, writing things down or summarizing them. 
it's the same for teaching. We all have our own style. And so learners can gain a lot from the different style of a different teacher um, or a different um, person that's supporting them throughout their entire um, academic career. And if you look at things like the, the student-led teaching awards, then you'll see where all the different you know, categories come in. The people are really appreciated for all of those different styles and different attributes. It sounds like you know, there's a real cross-section of people from across the university in there. And can people learn from each other when they're in the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge part of coming together as a, a peer group. One of the big things um, on the, the Postgraduate Certificate in Academic Practice, which is the programme for um, people new to, to teaching and, and student um, learning across the university, one of the things that they say is really useful about that is the opportunity to talk to other people from different parts of the university that they may not have come into contact with before. And that thing about learning about how groups or, or lectures or seminars are used in different ways with different student groups gives you ideas for different things you could use and perhaps creative things you could use. And it's interesting listening to people's discussions because sometimes a person will come up with an idea and say, oh, I've been using this in the classroom. And you hear their, their peers say, wow, I've never thought about that before. <laughs> but that first person thinks, well, I've been doing that, you know, for the last three months, it's not new. And suddenly you realize actually innovation and creativity is really all around us. So definitely learning from each other is a huge part of, of what we are looking to try and facilitate um, when we work with people through academic development and especially through the, the PG cap. It also sounds like you're learning a lot every day when you're in the classroom, like you can take stuff on board from your students. Absolutely. And, and that's where, one of the reasons why I said to you, I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the university because that <laughs> genuinely is the truth. If you go into a class and, and people are coming up with different ideas or debating and, and um, you know, critically appraising the ideas that you're bringing to them, you start to see things from all sorts of different mm -hmm. viewpoints. So yeah, absolutely. I shamelessly steal ideas from the students <laughs> that work with me every single day, but I do tell them that because they're great. So why would I not steal their ideas? <laughs> How does the process work then, Fiona? If I was starting out my career in academia, do I approach you to join your training programmes or would I automatically be enrolled onto them? So normally what happens is that um, when you engage with um, GCU, then your line manager, your head of department, your line manager, um, would then be able to pinpoint you towards the right kind of development opportunity for you. So your first part of call would be to talk to them and they can help support you. If you come in on a lecturing contract, for example, then your head of department will be very keen to get you engaged with the PGCAP because um, the university looks to have all of our academic teaching staff professionally recognised. So therefore the PGCAP is a good way or is, is one of the ways to do that. Um, so that's one of the first ways um, to get involved with the programme. We do run information sessions, usually from round about May time onwards, which tells people about what the programme is and gives them the opportunity to learn more to make sure it's the right fit for them. Because we do have people coming into the university who are not necessarily new to teaching in higher education. They've come from another university and they've got a wealth of experience that they bring with them. And they might even have done a programme like the PGCAP before. So 
we need to think about what people's individual um, career journey has been and we need to think about the development route that's best for them and I work with um, one of my colleagues leads on the Accelerate programme and the Accelerate programme then looks at supporting people towards professional recognition um, through um, portfolios of their experience. So if you were joining the university and, and you had say, you know, five, seven years of, of teaching experience, then it's likely that you would engage with my colleague Kay in the Accelerate programme to okay. gain professional recognition that way. Whereas someone maybe with a year's experience or less would engage with me in the PG cap. So how many teachers do you have underneath you at one time? So we tend to um, have a cohort intake of round about kind of 30 people in the year. Um, but that depends, to be honest, on the university's recruitment. So if there's lots of new people are recruited in a year, then we'll have a higher number of potentially a higher number of new students coming to work with us on the PG cap. But if the university is not recruited, then we'll have less numbers coming in. So it's, it kind of fluctuates. Mm -hmm. But if I look back at the cohort numbers that have come through, yeah, I would say averaging out around about 30 people in a cohort at any one time. It's easier to work with smaller cohorts. Oh, there's the million dollar question. <laughs> um, in some ways, yes, because when it comes to logistics like marking, then there are less things to mark and there are less people, I suppose, to remember their names, which is always one of my big <laughs> things, remembering everyone's names um, at the beginning of a new year. But smaller cohorts bring together their own challenges as well. And you know that there's something about facilitating a, a real community feel where a cohort learns with and from each other and doesn't necessarily rely too much on, on the teaching staff. And, and so you need to think about balancing that out. It's not always as easy to have a smaller cohort than it is to have a larger cohort. Imagine it must be quite tricky to be an early career academic if you're trying to balance your own studies with teaching. What are some of the most common challenges that they're likely to face? Yeah, I think it's incredibly challenging. Um, I think managing workloads is, is a challenge, a realistic challenge for people when they are new to a new job. They're trying to grapple with all the things that learning and teaching brings and work with students and remember their students names and also study at the same time because remember this is a part-time program that runs through two years so people are studying full-time or part-time and working um sorry they're working full-time or part-time and studying part-time as well mm. so you know that 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 in itself is quite a big juggling act and juggling is one of the things that we've spoken about in the programme. We've even taught each other to juggle on the programme um, because that is a skill that we recognise teachers need. But I think one of the other challenges that people face when they come new into um, learning and teaching is that sense of identity. And if people, like if I take my own experience and I, and I think I'm fairly typical of people's experience coming into higher education, you were known within your clinical field or your professional field for having the expertise in a certain area, being known for your skills. And you come into university and the students perceive that you are an expert in your field, but you're actually a brand new teacher. And so there's this balance of trying to be brand new and, and deal with that, but being perceived as someone with a lot of expertise and knowledge at the same time. And those don't always go hand in hand. 
And so it's about creating a, an identity as a teacher and still maintaining that identity from the industry or the subject area that you come from as well. So that, that can be a balance and, and not easy for everyone. Some people are very, very um, welded to their, their subject area and don't necessarily see themselves as a teacher. And yeah. so that transition of that identity is something that we support people with on the programme. Yeah, how do you help people overcome that? It's something that evolves, I would say. We support the evolving nature of that through introducing people to what teaching is all about. And some of that is about the, the theoretical aspects behind teaching and, and what makes it a teacher, what makes good teaching, you know, what's effective feedback. I think once you start to realise that there's a body of knowledge that you can engage with that underpins your practice and that there's a set of values that are specific to being a teacher, then that's when you start to become, you start to feel like you have an identity and you can start to call yourself a teacher. And it, for that reason, it's, it's so important that we are, we're accredited with the advanced HE, which is, in my words, it would be like the professional body for teachers. Okay. And they have a thing called the UK Professional Standards Framework. That's where professional recognition comes from. And that framework gives us a set of core values, knowledge, it gives us things that we have to achieve. So by going through the PG cap or by going through the accelerate route, we're asking people to show that they are able to meet those criteria, that they have the values that are required to be in learning and teaching, that they have the core knowledge. So both of those routes do that. And so by the time you've actually completed the PG cap or gone through the accelerate process, then you're fairly sure of what those values are and, and what that means to you. So that's what I mean about it being an evolving process. It must be very satisfying to see someone who's come in, have only been teaching for a year or so, they come under your tutelage and then they're off into the big bad world and they're able to become world-class teachers. That must be quite satisfying. Oh, hugely. Like I say, I mean, there's so much to learn from, from everybody that comes into the class. But yeah, watching people um, come through the programme, um, getting this great feedback from their students, which is so important, getting um, recognised by their peers, doing great things, having great innovative ideas and, and really evaluating those ideas as well. That's as much um, pleasure as, as I need, to be honest, from, <laughs> from the teaching on the programme. But, you know, I, I go back to earlier in the year, I remember we had the, the Student-Led Teaching Awards on it, and I looked through all the people that had been nominated on the Student-Led Teaching Awards, and I was able to pick out name after name uh -huh. after name after name of people that were either currently engaged or had recently engaged with this programme. And I think, wow, that's fantastic. Because if you're getting that reception from the students, then that's big news. Now, you've been at the university for a wee while now, Fiona, and you haven't always worked in academic development. Can you tell me what you were doing before you joined the department? I um, joined the university in 2004 um, and I worked in occupational therapy and I worked there for um, basically for a good number of years before I took on a more school-facing uh, school role. So within occupational therapy, I started teaching across the undergraduate and the master's programmes. Um, and I, my particular love in those, both those programmes was teaching um, students in the first year 
of their um, their student experience. And in fact, that was an area that I ended up going on and, and researching for part of my doctorate myself because it was just so fascinating. Um, so yeah, I worked in there, taught across the programmes, moved on, actually gained my senior lecturer um, while I was working in occupational therapy and went on. I was privileged enough to have the opportunity to go on and lead the, the team and led both occupational therapy and social work teams for a while. And then I moved on to do a role within the school, the Health and Life Sciences School, and it was Assistant Head of Learning Teaching Quality. And in that role, I had the pleasure of working with the Learning Development Centre, who are a school facing, every school has got this Learning Development Centre bespoke for, for their students. Okay. Um, and that was a great experience working with people who were supporting all aspects of student learning and academic development on a daily basis. Um, so I learned masses from that group of people and worked very closely with the Associate Dean for Learning Teaching Quality in the school as well and learned masses from her about um, quality and about the whole quality agenda across the school. And then in October last year came over to academic development. So what prompted that move away from the school and into academic development? If I'm, now, here's a secret, okay? And I can't tell anybody. Uh, forget the fact it's in a podcast, can't tell anybody. Um, when I first came into teaching, I had an inclination that I wanted to be involved in teaching and learning in a, in a way that helped me support other people with their teaching and learning. And I don't know why I had that inkling right from the word go, but I did. And so that stayed with me right from from 2004, probably before that, I had this, this desire to be not just learning and teaching myself and delivering that with students and working with students, actually working with other people to support and facilitate their learning and teaching. So moving through the different roles that I had within the school gave me lots of knowledge and importantly gave me confidence um, in terms of the fact that I was supporting other people within the school. I was working in teams with module teams, working with the Learning Development Centre and, and looking at how learning and teaching could really be enhanced for, for our students. So when the opportunity arose within academic development to become part of that central team, for which its core was all about supporting the academic development across the university. I felt that I'd come to a point in my career where I was ready to take that move. So moving from being within a, a program, then into being within a department, yeah. and then within a school, and then I could take that step, next step, to being part of a central university-wide um, department. So it felt like steps and stairs mm -hmm. for me in a logical journey. Are you able to use any of your skills as an occupational therapist in your current role? Yeah, I think once an occupational therapist, it never ever leaves you. And that's a good thing. <laughs> um, there's lots of things from a very practical perspective. Things like understanding the meaning. The meaning of occupation is all about what occupational therapy does. That's what it is. It's about meaningful occupation. And what better place to bring the, the meaning of occupation than into learning and teaching? 
Studying and learning is an occupation that should mean a lot to us. And as teachers, we have chosen to come into this. So there's a meaningful occupation there for us. So I can draw on that, that knowledge that I have and that understanding of what makes a meaningful occupation for someone, what makes someone motivated to engage, what helps a student be engaged to, to um, motivated to engage in a class or motivated to engage in an assessment? What happens when you give them feedback? What happens to their sense of their self and, and, and then the future occupations that they engage in? So that kind of professional knowledge from occupational therapy, I think, will remain mm -hmm. to my core no matter what I do. And I think, you know, in this current context that we're living in where we're all working remotely and things are kind of frantic at the moment because we're all trying to respond so quickly. I think one of the core things that I um, always taught about in occupational therapy was occupational balance and that's so important and it keeps our eye on the prize of health and well-being. Mm -hmm, it tries to encourage us that you know, working at home, there has to be a parameter between working and home life and, and maintaining the balance between the different types of occupations we have is really important. So I find myself trying to put that into the teaching that I do mm -hmm. with students in the PG cap, and hopefully they will take that to their students as well to encourage people, you know, take a break when you need it. Do something that, that releases your energy from work and gives you some headspace for something else. Make time for family, you know. Easier said than done, but it's really important <laughs> that we think about it. Listen to you talk, Fiona, it sounds like you're really enthused about face-to-face -face teaching and, and being in the classroom with uh, young teachers. But how have you found things working from home and working remotely with them? I think that was, for me, the first thing that, that gave me concerns. When we came into lockdown and we started working remotely, I was so used to working in a face-to-face -face environment and being able to observe and look at the dynamics that were happening in the class and be able to adjust to that. I didn't know how I was going to manage with it. And it's been a journey, um, I will say that. I do think I absolutely adore being in a classroom and having that face-to-face -face contact I think there's really nothing to beat it but I have to say some of the tools that we're able to use to help us engage even through um, remote through distance learning remote learning I do think some of the tools are working really well and when you get the chance to have synchronous contact with people mm -hmm. like in tutorials and um, we run synchronous tutorials on the PG cap now where we meet up and we're able to have discussions, people come ready to discuss and, and ready to engage. And, and it's almost like when you get together for that hour, people are kind of like, oh, let's go, let's have a chat, Let, let's put something <laughs> into the chat, you know. And, and so it works. I think the, the tools that some of the, the others in, in the academic development team have been um, supporting other people to work with so for example the IT training and development team have been running masses of, of webinars through GCU going digital those have been so important to help teachers engage with this online transition without knowing how to use Collaborate Ultra or Padlet without knowing what those tools are then our teaching could become quite one-dimensional and I, I think the online 
environment is not one dimensional. It has real opportunities. But I think it's a challenge just getting your head around about what those opportunities are mm -hmm. and thinking first and foremost about what is the design of my teaching. And then I can be, you know, I can go and look at the shiny tools and, and use them to help engage students. It's dead tempting to use all the shiny tools without <laughs> thinking about the design, but that is a disaster waiting to happen, let me tell you. Now, Fiona, before I let you go, I've got one final question for you. What are your top three tips for anyone beginning their career as a lecturer at the university? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> are you sure I've only got three? Just three. Not, a, oh, not 300, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, um, let me see. I think keep your students at the centre of what you're doing would be the first thing. So keep your keep your your students central to the learning experience, the learning outcomes. Think about your students. If you can keep them in your your central vision, then you've got a good starting point. I think the second thing is be very aware of of design. Think carefully about what how what and how you design your learning activities. So yeah. Don't just do something for the sake of it. Design a learning activity because you know what you want to get out of it. And you've got a much better chance of it um, working, going to plan. And the third thing, probably something, oh, it's really hard. <laughs> really hard to have just three. Um, I think possibly the third thing would be use your colleagues. Use the peers round about you. There is such a rich community in GCU, people with all sorts of experience, all sorts of knowledge and skills that we can learn from every single day. Use every interaction you have with your peers to, to discuss learning and teaching, to share experiences and to learn from them. Fiona, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for your time and thank you very much for coming on to the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Craig. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to this episode and I hope you'll join us again soon when we'll be talking with another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us from. And make sure you leave a five-star review while you're at it. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer, and this has been the Common Good Podcast. Music